Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. You can have a seat wherever you may find yourself. If we uh, haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Austin Johnson. Uh, I've been in San Antonio for about three years now. And uh, a little bit about me, I got married uh, about a year ago next month. Is it still April? It's still, yeah, April 25th. So I got married a year ago next month to my lovely wife, Sarah, who's over here. If you want to raise your hand over here. Uh, and so if you've been married for any longer than a year, we would love marriage advice because we are very much still figuring it out and uh, we don't know what we're doing, but we're trying. Well, this morning, Sol, thank you so much for reading our text. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to meet me in the book of Matthew chapter 14 uh, as we continue in our sermon series about encounters with Jesus. And what I love about the sermon, even the title, uh, or the sermon series title is I think there's a reason, it goes without saying, that we all come here together on Sundays to gather as a church body. And it's that we probably want to have an encounter with Jesus, right? There's, there's really no other reason that we would want to be here together except, man, we're wanting to have an encounter with Jesus. And so my hope and prayer today, uh, the message today, I don't think it's super complicated, but it's pretty simple that we just want to see Jesus and have an encounter with him. Now, before we jump into Matthew uh, chapter 14, uh, a little bit about what's going on. The whole book of Matthew, uh, Matthew's writing it with one purpose. He's trying to highlight one thing. He's trying to highlight that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the whole book of Matthew, it's meant to be this one pointing indicator that Jesus is the Messiah. And what's interesting in this feeding of the 5,000, this is the only miracle that is recorded in each of the four Gospels. It's the only one. This is the only miracle recorded in each of the four Gospels, which I think is pretty significant. Like there's a reason why out of all the miracles Jesus did, this is the one that's continuously repeated in each of the four Gospels. And I think as I've been asking the question, okay, why might that be? I think it's because it's this big arrow that's pointing that Jesus is the Messiah. And if you've never heard that word Messiah before, pretty, put it as simple as possible. It means the one who's been sent to save the day. So in the Old Testament, that is the first 39 books of the Bible. It's, this one, it's this, these prophecies and the, these predictions that these prophets would make pointing to one day there's going to be a Messiah coming who's going to save the day. And so we find ourselves in Matthew 14 in the book of Matthew where Matthew is trying to show us that Jesus He's the one that you've been waiting for. He's the one that you've been looking for. And so my hope today is pretty simply that we would see Jesus as the Messiah. So if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is The Messiah's Provision. The Messiah's Provision. And we're going to see three things in this text. We're going to see number one, the heart of the Messiah. And then we're going to see number two, the hands of the Messiah. And then we're going to see point number three, the hope of the Messiah, the hope for his people. 
So kind of the target, if you're uh, if you like target for where we're going, we're going to see that the heart of Jesus leads to the hands of Jesus and ultimately hope for his people. The heart of Jesus leads to the hands of Jesus and the hope of his people. So if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13, this is what it says. When Jesus heard about it, now let's just pause right there real quick. He heard about it. What is the it that he's talking about? Well, we need to go back to the beginning of chapter 14 to understand, okay, what's the it that's going on so we understand what's going on? This is what it says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. This is John the Baptist, he told his servants. He's been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. So Jesus, he's been doing miracles. We've been looking at these, these encounters people have been having with Jesus. And it's finally, it's gotten so big to the point that the ruler of the day has heard about what Jesus is doing. So much so that Herod, he knew who John the Baptist was, who's Jesus' cousin, uh, that was also doing some interesting things in the desert. Uh, and he said I, he's mistaken Jesus as a reincarnated John the Baptist. So Jesus hears it and he goes, okay, we should probably spend a little bit of time to ourselves. Let's just lay low for a little bit. Uh, let alone he's been healing people. He's been spending pretty much every waking moment of his day with people. And so Jesus is ready for a nap. Like he's ready to get away and take a break. Amen for naps. Those are holy and biblical. Uh, so verse 13 again. So when Jesus heard about it, so the it is that Herod heard about Jesus, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. So just for a moment, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about the place that's brought you the most rest. What's the place where if you could go to anywhere in the world, you know that this place, it's going to give you rest. Just put in your mind, okay? You can open your eyes. So Jesus is going to this remote place to be alone with his disciples to rest. Because A, it's gotten a little bit dangerous. Number two, he's been spending a lot of time with people. Uh, and even if you're an extrovert, there's still times you need to get away and be alone just by yourself. So when the crowds heard this, that Jesus had withdrawn to be a remote place, this is verse 13, they followed him on foot from the towns. So the bad news for Jesus is the word got out that he was going somewhere. And so all the people that he's trying to get away from are now continuing to follow him to the place where he doesn't want them to be, which I think is, is funny. So when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. This, this is point number one. We see the heart of the Messiah. So I want you to think about the people in your life that probably give you the most stress and anxiety, okay? Like what, just being around them, you're like, oh gosh, I don't know how to, I, just get me out of here. I've I, I got a timer on my phone and then I've got somebody planned to call me so that I can get out of this place so that I can get on with the rest of my life, okay? Now I don't know if all these people is, were those types of people for Jesus, but just to imagine he's been with people all the time. And he's going on his trip, he gets off, off the boat, he steps foot on land, and he sees the people that he's trying to get away from. And I think his response is really, really telling about Jesus' heart. 
And I think it's really, really good news for us. The heart of the Messiah as he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. We see the compassionate heart of our king. Jesus is getting ready to rest and retreat, but he's interruptible. And he sees people in his heart. says, I love these people. He's moved to have compassion on them, to heal them. That's the heart of Jesus. And even in Matthew 11, he says, hey, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. So for somebody here today, maybe you just need to hear that our King and our Messiah, the one who's come to save us, he has compassion on me and on you. That's a really, like that word compassion, we throw that around a lot. That's really simple. But I want us just to actually think like Jesus actually cares about you. Like his heart is for you. And what I, I love here, it says he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. So whenever you're reading the Bible and you see Jesus doing something, it teaches us something about who he is. So we heal him, see him healing their sick. Well, what does that do? That teaches us about his heart. That teaches us about what he's like. Even as we continue going through our Bible reading plan this year, I would encourage you, every time you see God or Jesus doing something, stop and ask, okay, what does this teach me about who he is? Because if you follow what he's doing, it's always going to reveal something about who he is. And that's good news for us of going, okay, do I actually believe that Jesus is compassionate? Do I believe that he's compassionate for me or is it just for other people? And the good news today is that Jesus, he's compassionate for me and he's compassionate for you. So I just wonder, have you ever experienced the compassion of Jesus? That's a big word, compassion. Like to know that Jesus loves you and he sees what you're going through and to have this moment of peace, of going, okay, that's not just this idea, but I've been with Jesus and we've talked and I've experienced his compassion. I want you to think about the last time that you experienced the compassion of Jesus. If you haven't, Recently, I would encourage you to maybe spend some time just going, okay, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? Tell him what you're anxious about, what you're worried about. These people, they're coming because they were sick. There was something that they needed from Jesus. And so just simply, I would encourage you, what do you need from Jesus? And be willing to ask because he has compassion on his people. That's his heart. This first point, the heart of the Messiah, teaches us something about who he is, what he's like, his heart for us. Let's keep going. Verse 15, when evening came, so Jesus has been healing people all day. Okay, he's been trying to get away from people. He shows up. There's still more people. He's been healing them all day. He's tired. The disciples approached him, and they said, this is a deserted, this place is deserted, and it's already late. So send the crowds away so that they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. I think what Jesus says next is amazing. And I think 
would blow it, all of our socks off if we were the disciples. This is what he says. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. So you, you got to imagine the disciples, these 12, 12 guys looking around at 10, 15, 20,000 people. And Jesus going, oh, they don't need to go anywhere. Like you, you, you can give them something to eat. Like a couple of chapters earlier, I don't know if you remembered, but I just commissioned you to go be on mission and to go and be good news. Why do they need to go anywhere? Like you've been given authority to, to do this. So the disciples are like looking around and like they, they huddle up and like, ah, you got anything? I don't have anything. They, they come up with five loaves of bread and two fish. So they come back to Jesus and they're like, well, we got five loaves and two fish. That's about all that we got. And what Jesus says next is bring them here to me. I think what Jesus, he's asking them to do the impossible. And Jesus knows by themselves they can't do it. But what is Jesus trying to do? He's trying to begin to teach them that the impossible begins with him. And with Jesus, all things are possible. Jesus wants us to know that by ourselves we can do nothing. So often I feel like we often think, man, Jesus, you've asked me to do something, but I can't do it. That's the point. You, you can't do it. That's pretty simple, right? But Jesus is asking us to do things that we can't do. Why? Because if we could do them, we wouldn't need Jesus. He's asking us to do the impossible why? Because with God, all things are possible that for a watching world and people, they might see what's going on here. Like Jesus is asking ordinary people to do extraordinary things so that the world around them would go, I was at dinner with you last night. Like you, you didn't have like these magic powers going on. It's like, yes, but I can point you to the one who does. I can point you to the king. This points us to the hands of the Messiah. So what does Jesus do? He tells them to bring it to him. And the impossible always starts with coming to Jesus. Uh, and so they bring it to him. And in verse 19, he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Don't miss that. I'll read it one more time. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves, the two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed them. He broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Do you notice what Jesus just did? Jesus didn't do it all himself. He could have. Like in the Old Testament, God actually... We'll talk about that in a minute. This is a picture of something that happened in the Old Testament. God would just open up the sky and bread would fall down from the sky. And people would eat. Or he'd just bring quail to come and like they'd fall down dead and the people could cook it up and eat it. Like God doesn't need anybody to help him. But what Jesus is trying to communicate is I'm starting something new and I'm inviting you into the process. Jesus worked this miracle but he invites his disciples to walk in the miracle and to be the means of the miracle. I don't think this is by accident. This is the picture of the kingdom that we get to live into. 
in our neighborhood, at our workplace. I think so many of us, we probably fall into one of two camps. Number one, we're trying to give people bread and trying to be the hands of Jesus without actually asking if that's Jesus' heart. Or we're asking, Jesus, would you do something? And he's saying, yes, but I want you to do it. And we're like, ah, I just, I just want to pray for bread to fall from the sky. Right? So many of us were in that, that place. So I would even encourage us, hey, you may be doing a lot of things that in your, our minds are really good. Like, you know, I'll just use the example of, you know, this is old school the Mormons still do it, going door to door, uh, evangelism. Hey, I love. My name is Austin. I would love to tell you about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in Him, you're going to hell. Now, is that the most effective thing? I don't think so. Uh, and my question is, have those people actually stopped to ask, "Is this the heart of Jesus?" That's an extreme example, uh, right? But going, so many of us were probably doing things that we think glorify Jesus or we think are good. But have we actually taken the time to just stop and go, Jesus, what, what do you think about that? Like, what's your heart? Now, remember, the heart of Jesus leads to the hands of Jesus. Jesus having compassion on the people has led to him wanting to provide their physical needs. And so for us, we're going, okay, what are we trying to provide for people? And is it in alignment with God's heart? And then the flip side of it again are we just sitting back and praying and expecting one day our neighbor, Doug, who doesn't know Jesus, man, I've been praying for Doug for 25 years, just, just waiting, for, waiting for the day where he comes home to Jesus. And Jesus is going, well, have you ever talked to Doug before besides waving at him? So I, how, it doesn't magically just happen like that. If Jesus is going, hey, I'm working this miracle, but I'm asking you to walk in it. I'm giving you something that you get to go and be good news. But don't miss it. It starts with Jesus. This isn't a do to be like, okay, you're not doing enough, so I better start doing all these things. No, 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 no. It starts with the heart of Jesus and us experiencing the heart and compassion of Jesus for ourselves, which compels us to tell other people that there's a compassionate king that sees you. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you joy. He wants to give you peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's not just an idea, but I'm getting to live in it. But we do it out of the heart of Jesus. We start with who he's called us to be in his heart for us, his heart for people, and then we step into it. So this is something I've learned recently. It's really simple that I want to share with you guys. Is uh, It's just a statement of what's next Lord. What's next, Lord? Uh, of going, okay, Jesus is giving here in this text his disciples bread to give to the people, but also believing he's given each one of us something to give to the people around us. And sometimes we feel like there's this big gap, right, from where we are. And I know my neighbor one day far away is supposed to give their life to Jesus because that's what we're told. But what do we actually do in between, right? I think this is super simple, just asking, well, what's next, Lord? Like, what's, what's today? And simply asking Jesus, what's next, Lord? And then just stopping to listen. And if you hear him say something, maybe, just maybe, try and do that. It's probably a good idea. And then once you do it, I would even say, journal, what happened? Like, if nothing happened, okay. Well, then just ask again, what's next, Lord? 
whatever he says, I just go and do that. And then just continuing that, that a spirit-led life, I think we kind of overcomplicate it. It's just going, okay, what do you want? How are you already working today? How can I partner with you? All right, I'm just, I'm just going to do that. You're giving me this bread. Who's it to? These people? Okay, let me just, let me just give it to these people. So this question, what's next, Lord? And then once you do it, ask again. What's next, Lord? You do it, ask him again. What's next, Lord? See, Jesus wants to use his people and his people's hands to reach the people around us. The body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the body, and each one of us has a part to play. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. I think growing up, there's like a VBS song, I'm sure, about hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, I don't know. I was scarred from that, so I don't, I try to block it out of my memory, but I'm pretty sure like growing up, there's these ideas of, yeah, we're the hands and feet of Jesus, but we really are. And just going, does my life reflect that? Or does my life reflect, I'm trying to be the hands and feet without the head of Jesus's heart? Or am I trying to just let it all be Jesus and not being willing to play my part? So on their own, they could do absolutely nothing. And on our own, we can do absolutely nothing. We cannot do the impossible, but Jesus can. Jesus can. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, since being here, Pastor Josh, where's Pastor Josh? I saw him back there. Uh, has introduced us to this idea of there's deeper magic in the story. Uh, and I love just that language. If you've been, you know, you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, there's deeper magic going on in the story. And I alluded to it earlier, but this story is no different. In the Old Testament, uh, for 40 years actually, the nation of Israel found themselves in a desolate place. They were in the wilderness, walking around for 40 years. And you even ask, okay, why were they in the wilderness for 40 years? That's a, another sermon for another day. But part of it was they didn't know the heart of God and they weren't living out the hands of God. Uh, that's another sermon for another day. But uh, they're walking around the wilderness for 40 years. There's a couple of times where they start complaining and asking for food. Okay? So the story, there's already some parallels going on to what we just read in Matthew 14. And remember, everything is pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. That's why Matthew is writing this. There's a couple other similarities. Moses, the leader of the 12 tribes, the 12 tribes, 12 disciples, he goes to God and he says, no, he says, this is an impossible task. I don't know what to do. And so God tells him that I'm going to provide for my people. And what happens? A couple different times, manna falls from the sky, the people eat, or birds, quail come and fall down and die, and the people eat chicken. I don't know if it was Chick-fil-A, but I'm sure it was tasted good in a, des in a desolate place. Uh, so for the people who grew up with Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible, they would have remembered those stories of how God provided for his people in the wilderness. So I'm just imagining some of these men and these women who have heard the stories, they're in this desolate place, and all of a sudden, like, that five loaves and two fish isn't just five loaves and two fish anymore. And then going, this, the, the, the whole point of Matthew is trying to point to Jesus is the Messiah. Now Moses, he actually said in the Old Testament that one day there's going to be someone coming after me who's going to be a prophet like me, and you should listen to him. He's saying there's a Messiah coming one day. And I just wondered, did, 
the, the people who are experiencing this miracle, did they go, could this be it? Like, could this be the guy that we've been waiting for? Is this the Messiah? But the magic goes a little bit deeper here. It's not just that Jesus is a reincarnated version of Moses. That's bad news for us because Moses couldn't save the people. But Jesus is the true and better Moses. The story keeps going on. Look with me. Then he commanded the crowds. We'll start in verse 19 again. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves, the two fish. He looked up to heaven. He blessed them. He broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And everyone ate and was satisfied. So number one, that's good news. What Jesus has for you is enough for you. What Jesus has for you and me is enough for us. If Jesus gives us things that we might eat and be satisfied. But this, this is point number three, the hope of the Messiah, that Jesus is the true and better Moses. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. The hope of the Messiah is that there's 12 baskets left over. Jesus wasn't just a reincarnated Moses where the people experienced the provision of God. There was more than enough left over. And even don't miss this, there's 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets, 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, 12 disciples. Jesus asking the disciples to do the impossible and almost him saying, even when you give what you don't have, I'm still gonna have enough for you. The good news for us even when you feel like you're giving, you're giving, you're giving. If we really have our eyes on Jesus, there's always going to be enough left over for me and for you. If this was just Moses, there would be no 12 baskets left over. In the Old Testament, actually, God said, there won't, you got to get your food today because it's not going to last until tomorrow. And in John's account of this parable, uh, not parable, but this story, uh, a couple of verses later, this is actually where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And what he means by that is not just am I the one that's giving you food, but I want to meet both your physical need, but I'm here to change your spiritual reality as well. I am the bread of life. The 12 baskets left over, Jesus is the bread of life. It points us to not just is he Moses reincarnated, he is the true and better Moses who's come to give you and me life. There's 12 baskets left over. 12 tribes of the nation of Israel, 12 disciples, and 12 baskets left over. The bread that Jesus has come to give to us, it does not leave us hungry. He is the bread. And I just imagine, so his disciples who are watching this miracle, a couple of chapters later, they're, they're sitting with Jesus at a table. We did this a couple of weeks ago, the, the Seder meal. And Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. And he goes, this is my body broken for you. Not just is Jesus the means of us being filled. He is the only one who can fill us. His hands don't just get, his hands may give us what we need physically, but he is what we need spiritually. 
And so the good, even for us, what does this mean? Well, one, we should care about the physical needs of people around us. Jesus didn't ignore the spiritual needs of the people or the physical needs of the people only to give them spiritual things. Uh, but he also didn't ignore the spiritual things just to give them physical things, physical bread. So for me and for you, so many of us, I think we, we also we probably pick one or the other. Uh, this person just needs Jesus. Yes, but they also need food. There's so many stories of Jesus going, hey, away from me, I never knew you because I I needed a place to lay my head and nobody gave it to me. He's looking at the religious leaders who quoted the Bible, who knew the Bible verses, and it's going, he's relating himself to, to, to people all across the world of physical, there's physical needs of how we as the church respond to those needs. And so for us, we know the heart of Jesus, which leads to the hands of Jesus. We get to partner with Jesus. And those around us, we get to meet both physical and spiritual needs. So even as you're maybe asking, what's next, Lord? If you hear, maybe bake some cookies and drop it off at the door. <laughs> Don't say, ah, oh, it's not some super spiritual thing, and I'm going to ignore that. No. Like so often we get to share the good news of Jesus through spiritual or physical good news. Like as we meet the immediate physical needs of people, we often get a chance to share the real reason why we're doing what we're doing. If I'm just coming and going, hey, like you're cool, but I don't want to give you any money, but there's a Jesus who one day is going to, going to come back and you should put your hope in that. That doesn't necessarily sound like good news. Like if we have the means that this whole thing, the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Are we helping bring the kingdom in our spheres of influence and in our lives? Not in a do to be. We have to do things, but that's Jesus's heart. So this is how we get to live. So the heart of Jesus leads to the hands of Jesus and the hope of his people. The hope for us, the good news for us, is that Jesus' heart is for us. But not only is it for us, it's for the world. We just did uh, Secret Church on Fridays. Many of us participated. And just learning, there's approximately 3 billion people in the world that will live, be born, live, and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. 3 billion people. And the solution to that isn't just, you know, showing up and going, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Yes and amen. They need to hear about Jesus, but they need to see the heart of Jesus. And how is the heart of Jesus displayed by the hands of Jesus through his people? And so for us, what is Jesus asking us to do? We, we've been asking this question for, I don't know, a year, probably even a year now. Uh, I just kind of want to end with this. One. Have you experienced the heart of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus? If no, you're like, I don't even know what that means. Come, we'd love to come and introduce you to his heart. Uh, but if you have experienced the heart of Jesus, I just want you to ask, maybe what's next, Lord? What have you given me? And how can I be your hands? You're already extending something. You've put something in my hand. What are you asking me to do? And that may be as simple as I'm supposed to bake cookies for my neighbors because I've been a really bad neighbor. And I'm going to even write an apology letter and go, hey, I've been a really bad neighbor, but I hope we can maybe be, be friends. If that's what he says, do that. That's super simple. But that's a step. 
towards being the hands of Jesus, rooted in the heart of Jesus. I'd encourage you too, if you've never done this in your apartment complex or your neighborhood, walk around and pray and just ask Jesus, what is your heart for this place? I, we, we, my wife and I did that. We immediately jumped to, oh, we're strategizing all these different things that we could do. And we just stopped and went, Jesus, what do you think about these people? Like, what do you think about our neighbors? Let me just listen to what your heart is and then whatever plan of action it's rooted in your heart. And that's gonna lead to the hope of people because there's 12 baskets left over because Jesus is the bread of life. So we're gonna take 120 seconds and just ask Jesus, what are you saying to me? And what are you asking me to do about that? And then we're gonna respond and we're gonna sing. Uh, and we're gonna worship the bread of life. And if you've never experienced Jesus as the bread of life and the hope that he is, come talk to me, come talk to Pastor Drew, to Marcus, to Georgie, to Soul, to anybody, your house church leader, because he loves you and his heart is for you and his hands are extended towards you. He did that on the cross and it gives us reason for hope. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.